today. This is Modern Babylon, the cultural contrarian, Ryan Miller, coming to you today. Uh, this one I, I've uh, attempted to broadcast, and it, it, it didn't go the way I had intended, so this is a, a redo, and I just wanted to clarify why I'm really redoing this broadcast. Uh, as I was doing it, a couple of points emerged that I really wanted to bring emphasis to, and it went longer than I wanted to, and I want to stay focused on those bullet points as I get to them. And this is going to be a couple of series of broadcasts that um, the, the source material I'm pulling from is very, very good, but will require a lot of um, context as, as from a presentation standpoint. Like a bullet point conversation is just going to be too brief and there needs to be so much more context. So unfortunately... This series of broadcasts is going to take me a fair amount of time to go through it and put them up, but the material is so critically important. So I'm going to dive into this one, and it's probably going to be about 20 minutes long, and I'm going to hit certain points, but this is going to, this is going to kind of shake people a little bit. My desire is not to create fear, dissension, division. I'm just trying to shine a light on what we believe to be the case is really not the reality in which we live in. And it, it is distressing. And my, my, the purpose of doing this is to help people gain clarity of their life, their existence, and to break through this delusion. And once you break through that delusion, you can make whatever decisions that you want with this information go seek the truth, the valid validity, go look for the evidence. Or you can just bury your head in the sand and say, I don't want to listen to this anymore. It's not, not something in my wheelhouse and I will just figure it out as I go along and just voluntarily comply and consent. When, when Benjamin Franklin was coming out after signing the, the Declaration of Independence and he was asked by a, a passerby on the sidewalk, so what, what do we have now? And, and Ben Franklin said, it's a republic if you can keep it. And those are very hallowed words. We live underneath the constitutional republic, and if you've listened to my previous broadcast, you will know that there is significant value in those founding documents that, that Thomas Jefferson and other of our founding fathers did in crafting that document of the unalienable, the in, unalienable rights that come from God, that our humanity, we were united as sentient beings through the divine spark. And those founding fathers recognized the source of our liberty has not come from man, it comes from God. And that the non-aggression principle and the, the social contract is weaved with the biblical reverence for the creation and the created, the creatures. But after that time, when they signed that document and moving forward, that republic started slowly being reduced and infringed. And it was our, we the people of the generations, our apathy, our complacency, and our, our incorrect thinking 
that we should assign trust to other humans which are not trustworthy. The reason our system is built with checks and balances is based upon the core foundation that humans are wicked, are wicked, were depraved, and the checks and balances were designed to have outside oversight and scrutiny to ensure that thing, people were doing things which were noble and righteous. And when we take we the people and move them further and further back from that oversight and that scrutiny, the organism turns into something other than a republic. Previous broadcasts tell you what we are being told we are, how we are subjects under this democracy, which we are not, but we are being ruled as a democracy because there's rules for them, which is different than the rules for us. So I'm going to continue here and I'm going to bring emphasis to a couple of points as I go through this and this. I'm thankful for this information, which in order to gain access to is bound to contract terms. To gain access to this, there's confidentiality that is related to this information. And I'm abiding by that. I begin, have you or family member been victimized by our so-called legal system? There is help. However, it will not come from an attorney at law, for they are the problem, not the solution. Now I'm going to expand on this in just a minute, but I'm going to read a little bit further. Consider the following facts. According to the late Chief Justice William H. Rehnquist, 100% of the people that are in the federal or state penitentiaries are there voluntarily. I would encourage people to do some research across the planet about the per capita percentage of those that are in state or federal incarceration. We are going to quickly point fingers to other regimes across the country, across the planet, in China, going to complain about the Uyghurs. Yeah, that's a horrible thing. But per capita, we're off the charts on our industrial penal institution. It's, it's the prison industrial complex. The lawyers are the, the tools which take the people and imprison them. They're the ones that write legislation to further inflict harm on the citizens that are adopted by city councils, city administrators, school boards, anybody in political services are receiving the legislative language that come from the profession of attorneys. And I've often said that the top of the hierarchy of globalism is the profession of the lawyer. Because all of the money that the elites have is directly influenced, directed, manipulated through commerce, through the language of law. I'll continue. Don't believe it? We have some simple yes or no questions to prove how one is duped into forfeiting their rights and trading them for statutory privileges. An attorney at law is an arm of the state, and their first duty 
is to the court, then the government, and not to you. Now, he abbreviated this because there's other priorities in that chain before it gets to you. So, yes, the first duty is to the court, then the government, then to the bar, the bar association, to their practice or firm, to themselves, and then to you. You are so far in the bottom of the chain of command in defense, it's disgusting. Furthermore, whenever any duty to you interferes with their first duty, you are the one that is to take the back seat. You think that you have attorney-client privilege where what you say to an attorney at law remains private? Ever heard of the word discovery? This is where your attorney is ordered to turn over your information to the state that is attempting to incarcerate you. Here's something else. If the state has information which is to your advantage to prove your, to substantiate your innocence, that's called exculpatory evidence, they play shenanigans to create many hurdles and barriers and even preclude you from gaining access to exculpatory evidence. That's shenanigans. One in 32 Americans is either in prison or on parole or probation. Over 40% of people admitted into prisons in America are convicted under the political code and therefore by definition political prisoners. Furthermore, since political prisoners end up with mandatorily longer sentences, the cumulative effect is that they end up being the majority of the population. America's incarceration rate is now 743 people per 100,000, the highest in the world. This is a dated document and that number is actually higher. America locks up more people for drug crimes than all of Europe locks up for all crimes combined. That's a horrifying statement because drug crimes, for the most part, don't have a victim. If they're being used for someone for personal use, the only victim is the person that's using it. A libertarian view would say, if you put something in your body and it causes you harm, that's on you. If you go to trial in federal court, there is a 96% chance of being convicted. Do you really believe that only 4% are innocent? Are you aware that you can't even plead innocent? You can only plead guilty or not guilty. I can't plead not guilty of something I didn't commit. I'm innocent. What you're trying to do is give me two options that I didn't do it. So I can't be guilty of something I didn't do. And I can't be not guilty of something I didn't do. (laughs) It's the government's position that you do not know your rights. Then you don't have any. Now, there's a, a statute, 27 CFR 7211, which talks about commercial crimes. I'm just going to list them off here. There's 
burglary, counterfeiting, forgery, kidnapping, larceny, robbery, illegal sale or possession of weapons, prostitution, extortion, swindling. These are commercial crimes where you are converted to an object for commercial use and due process of law becomes a farce. So what is the solution? Well, it's about learning and exercising your rights. They are used. They are yours. And do you know them? Well, this guy and myself, we're here to help you. However, in the end, it is you who must stand up for your rights. Judge Alger Fee stated it very clearly in the case of U.S. versus Johnson. I got to say, this is one that you got to know. U.S. v. Johnson. Burn it in your head. I'm going to say it again. U.S. v. Johnson. And I'm going to bring power to a one word as I read through this statement. That your rights are neither accorded to the passive resistant nor to the person indifferent thereto. Furthermore, Judge Fee stated that your rights, quote, cannot be claimed by attorney or solicitor and are only valid, ready, quote, when insisted upon by a hang tight. Burn this word into your mind. Justice Fee, use this word, and you don't like my use of this word, but it's his word. Don't condemn me for his choice of word. When insisted upon by a, here it is, belligerent claimant in person, close quote. I'm going to expand on that in a second. His final warning was clear. One is who is persuaded by honey-eyed words or moral suasion to testify or produce documents simply loses the protection of your rights. We need to be a belligerent claimant in person. Now, the word belligerent has a very negative connotation. And I want to say, let's put some context around that word belligerent and let me give you an example of how one can act in a belligerent way. Imagine I'm sitting at the local park with my five-year-old daughter where she's playing across the little jungle gyms and swings and slides and she's climbing about with other little kids. And somebody makes a call that there's this long-haired guy who looks suspicious watching kids at the playground. Well, suspicion's not a crime, folks. And I'm sitting there watching my kids, so you can say whatever you want. But they call the police, report suspicious person. So they describe my clothing, and an officer comes, and he's got lights on, and he parks at the park entrance, and he walks, and he sees me, the long-haired guy with the clothing that was described as a suspicious person. And I'm sitting on the park bench, minding my own business, watching my daughter interact with other kids, having a grand old time. And he approaches me in his costume with the shiny polished tin badge and the name badge on his shoulder, on his breast pocket. And he's got this decal, his badge on the side that's got this facsimile of a uh, U.S. flag that's been out, marked out black and white with a blue line running through it. So that's a, that's, a, that's a political 
union gang symbol as opposed to a demarcation of him representing the oath of the constitution that's a desecration of the flag but here's his costume his here's his he's got his duty belt on and he approaches me and i'm just sitting there and i'm going to be the bit belligerent complaint 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 claimant and he walks up to me and he says um good afternoon and I just look at him, I'm just quiet, just look at him. And I, I have the ability with my body posture and my facial expressions to express disdain, contempt, or pleasantness. And I will present him with a relaxed face of in, inquisitiveness, like, what are you doing? And he goes, what's your name? Now I'm in a seated position and he's standing up before me. I see his costume and he is attempting to represent that he has authority. But the only time the state actors have authority over me is when I consent to give him that authority, grant him that authority, or I haven't provided enough evidence of probable cause, articulable by facts and evidence that I've committed a crime. A crime is in progress or a crime is about to occur. So this officer just walked up. He has no evidence. He's got a report of a suspicious person, but suspicion is a subjective term. That's not a misdemeanor nor a felony. And he wants to interact with me. He wants to speak to me based upon his tactics and training in verbal judo to get me to incriminate myself. But as a belligerent, knowledgeable claimant, I'm not going to give him that authority. And he's going to ask my name. And I'm going to change my position. I'm going to get up. I'm going to stand up, take a step back, say, sir, am I being detained or am I free to go? Now, the tactics and training won't allow me to get away that quickly because they want to assert that authority over me. My simple stating that is as a knowledgeable citizen is automatically a triggering a contempt of their authority. And now they have to ratchet up their authority over me to say, stay in your place, you subject. I am here to protect and serve, and you are making me scared because I know the law and I'm standing on my rights. And he says, well, I just want to know who, why you're here, what you're doing, where, where do you live, what's your address, can I get your ID? And I say again, sir, am I detained or am I free to go? He's not going to answer. A belligerent person would say, officer, no do, no disrespect. I haven't done anything wrong. You are not detaining me. I'm going to leave. Have a nice day. And I turn my back to him and I step away. Now, a law-abiding person of, under their authority would know they have no reason to continue to follow me, interact with me whatsoever. I disengaged from that encounter. Now, that's going to trigger that contempt of authority. I narrate this through my ebooks and tell you how to encounter law enforcement, but I'm giving you the belligerent claimant type of response. That officer is going to come after me and say, wait a minute, I'm detaining you for investigative purposes. Unlawfully, unlawfully, but we will never win the sidewalk debate. You can, you may beat the charges but you're not gonna beat the ride and that's a quote from an officer friend of mine and it's a valid statement so 
He's not your friend. He's not your drinking buddy. He is there to perpetrate something against you because somebody called. See something, say something. So he's there. So he's going to say, I'm detaining you for investigative purposes. Thanks so much, Officer Kochka. Go continue your investigation. I'm going to remain silent. Now, as I turn my back and walk away, the law-abiding officer should allow me to go. But he's going to use his tactics and training. Threaten, intimidate, coerce, push, put me in dress, and may follow me and want to continue to discuss with me. And he may say, I'm detaining you for investigative purposes. I have a report of a suspicious person. Now, John Q. Citizen is not going to know what to do, and they're going to wind up trying to defend that they're not a suspicious person. As I've said before, you may beat the the charges, but you're not going to beat the crime. And that officer is trained to entrap John Q. Citizen and get them to talk. But the belligerent person who knows their rights knows that I have a Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. So if you're going to unlawfully use your authority under your personal, private person capacity in violation of your oath, I'm not going to consent to your unlawful behavior. But I will not resist your unlawful actions. So the belligerent person may say something like this. Officer, you're acting outside your, your sworn duty to the Constitution to pre- protect and preserve my rights. You're trying to have me commit a, do something criminal, which I will not. So I'm going to remain silent. You have a limited period of time where you can keep me here. I'm not going to answer my, any questions. I'm going to remain silent and let me know when I'm free to go. I will continue to ask you when I am free to go. And he is going to say, he'll say whatever he's going to say. Well, I had this report and he's going to appeal to your emotions and your sense of fairness and just be a good subject. He's just doing his job. Be a good subject. Surrender. Voluntarily comply to his unlawful actions because he's done something he's not allowed to do. And that's stop your free movement. I'm allowed to be free to move absent of being harassed and physically molested and to have my freedom restrained. We are not trained or taught how to interact. We believe in this social contract of fairness, but the authority doesn't abide by the rules of the social contract. They work with special privileges and special protections. If you listen to my previous broadcast on qualified immunity, that they are protected under Fraser v. Cup that they have created certain liberties with the ruling under, underneath the Fraser v. Cup that they can lie to you when they're interrogating you. Well, they've interpreted that talking to you is an interrogation which gives them the right to lie to you and misrepresent and misstate and mischaracterize. And the burden is on us to be informed to correct them. But you're not going to win that debate on the sidewalk. And as those two lawyers in California, which are called the Pot Brothers, that just say, shut the F up. Really? Close your pie hole. You don't know enough on how to extricate yourself from the powers of that authority and the protection that they have. Because when they tase you, when they put those pain compliance devices on you, when they kidnap you, everything you say can and will be used against you. And if you don't go limp, 
Now you're resisting arrest. Whether it's lawful or not, that's a separate issue. Belligerent. I was respectful in my narrative. Yeah, I'm using a passion voice because I'm convicted on this particular issue and it's not meant to be that, that way. It's meant for emphasis. And yes, I am passionate about this because freedom to me has been bled over. And the, the price that was paid for me on the cross, I don't want to devalue what the state under their authority did to my savior and the state while they may not be crucifying me but they're doing meta, meta, doing it and metaphorically that they have powers outside of their sworn duties and authority so i've said i was reading through simply you're losing your protection of your rights so let's continue with this we're talking about commercial crimes and he's going through a quick outline of some of the crimes, but I'm going to go, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here and I'm going to do some meaning of terms. And this gets a little deep, so I'm going to go a little slow. As used in this part, unless the context otherwise requires, terms shall have the meanings ascribed in this section. And this is section 7211 of CFR 27. Words in the plural form shall include the singular and vice versa meaning those in the singular can also be used in the plural. And words importing the masculine gender shall include the feminine. I'm wondering if they need to rewrite these codes to not to delineate that there's 257 genders at this point. The term includes and including do not exclude things not enumerated which are in the same general class. Now, I, I read before some of the commercial crimes such as burglary, counterfeiting, forgery, kidnapping, larceny, robbery. But let, let me continue to where he gets into here. He goes, says, I researched the term commercial crime and found next to nothing in the legal resources available to him. Now, some of the information he did find may not exactly be on point, but it does raise reasonable questions. If, maybe, we all presumed by silent judicial notice, parenthetically, to be engaged in commerce and triable accordingly under two distinct areas of law, merchant law and commercial law. Perhaps the proper administrative forum to start an administrative complaint would be the successors to the Interstate Commerce Commission or the ICC. So he does this little statement. Dear Government Alphabet Soup Agency, these court folks have the crazy idea that I am somehow involved in commerce. I don't know where they got that idea. I would like a determination of status or of activity from you. Now, if we could get the Alphabet Soup Agency to make an administrative determination that, for whatever reason, it does not have jurisdiction because we're not engaged in commerce, and that should end the complaint by removing it from the jurisdiction of a possible commerce court. Now, the word jurisdiction means the authority to rule or to decide. So if you're dealing with commerce, you could be going to be dealing in a, the jurisdiction in the court of equity, which is the majority that's called the Article I court that's the jurisdiction of commerce. 
So if I am getting a traffic citation, my entire ability to use a vehicle is directly related to commerce. When we get that driver's license and we're agreeing to the traffic codes, when you sign that little signature box on the back of the license, they say the right to a driver's license, it's a privilege. It's not a right. And they're correct because that driver's license is you acknowledging to the terms and conditions of the traffic code, acknowledging that you're going to be using this license for the purpose of commerce. Now, unfortunately, this is a really deep rabbit hole and that we don't understand what commerce is. So yeah, DoorDash, you're conducting commerce. Uber, you're conducting commerce. Mail person, you're conducting commerce. If you're transporting goods from point A to point B, you're conducting commerce if you're transacting on those goods that you're transporting. However, if I'm going from my home to the grocery store to procure goods for my family and I'm driving home, the commerce is at the destination. I am engaged in commerce with the grocery store, but I'm not engaged in commerce from point A to point B and point B back to point A. I'm just traveling. These are very important words when you get into the definition of words and how do you describe what elements you're stepping into to get from point A to point B. Are you doing it on a scooter? Are you doing it on a bicycle? Are you doing it on an automotive vehicle? Are you doing it on a two-wheeled motorized vehicle? There's words that define this that are coming out of the traffic code. You have been bamboozled into entering into a contract without reading the contract terms. And you sign that contract, no problems, because you know that if you are operating a vehicle and you don't have that document from the state, you are threatened with a fine, a citation, and it just gets worse and worse. <laughs> if you ignore the threat of the state, it will wind up in death. That's the end consequence of your inability to respond and ignore the threats of the state. It will always come with a gun and it could result in death. Disagree with me? Let's go, let's go through a process. Driving down the road, you drive through a traffic light, emergency lights go on, you get pulled over, you don't do anything, give your license registration, they give you the ticket, and you go, I didn't do that, I'm going to ignore it. You're not going to sign in the paperwork, you're not going to send any money in, you're just going to ignore it. What happens next? Let's just go down this ignore path. I deny it, I'm not going to address my government. I'm not going to go to court. Let it go. All right. Well, a warrant is issued for your arrest for not paying the fine or appearing before the court. So that comes into the mail and you don't get the mail and you ignore that. So let's say it's six months down the road and you get pulled over again and they check your license plate and they go, oh, wow, this guy may have a suspended driver's license because he didn't respond to the citation, which is very likely. And there's a warrant for your arrest. So what are they going to do with the warrant? Well, a reasonable person would not handcuff you. They would just say, 
you have a warrant for your arrest. You need to resolve this. Come to court this day and get this resolved. That's what a reasonable person would do. But those in authority will say, now he's got a warrant. Let's take him in. Let's book him and let's get him. And then we'll release him ORR on his own recognizance and let him out and give him a fine. And Well, you know, now you've, now you've got a warrant for your arrest. Now you've got to appear before the judge. Well, you're going to ignore, ignore your trial. You're going to ignore showing up before the judge to satisfy your traffic violation and ignore the warrant for arrest. That gun, gun is coming to your house. Now, whether that gun is fired or not is depending upon how you conduct yourself. But it's possible that gun could be discharged because you're defiant of their authority and they'll be protected. Or you can continue to go down this paper trail and wind up five days in jail, seven days in jail, two weeks in jail, 30 days in jail. And who is the initial victim? Who is the victim when you went through that traffic light? Did you hit anybody? Did you cause anybody to go off the road and cause damage? The victim is a process. It's a procedure. It's a piece of paper. It's the authority. So I wanted to start this conversation. And I may continue it in, in a little greater depth later. But it begins with people doing under a little more digging on their own. And I don't necessarily want to be the person that is going to be putting this out repeatedly because that's dangerous for me. And I encourage you to get a VPN and get DuckDuckGo and learn how to use the internet search tools that are safe and do your own investigation. Research the belligerent claimant and understand about the power of the Commerce Clause and what that has done to us by tying us all as commerce. On that commerce note, when President Obama was president and they introduced the Affordable Care Act, massive sweeping health reform, and it went up to the Supreme Court and it was determined that the Affordable Care Act was a tax. Justice Roberts determined as the president judge, presiding president judge, that it was a tax. And they validated it and allowed it to move forward. And they effectively legislated from the Supreme Court bench to allow the Affordable Care Act to go through. But there's only one body that is able to legislate a new tax. It wasn't presented as a tax, but when it got to the Supreme Court, it was interpreted as a tax. And for a tax to be approved through our government, it has to go through Congress. It has to go through the House of Representatives and has to be approved by the Senate as a new tax. And our Supreme Court relied upon the Commerce Clause to allow that tax to take hold on us under the Affordable Care Act. This is a multi-layered onion like Shrek and Donkey. And you got to keep pulling the layers back 
and we haven't even gotten the paper off of the onion. And I encourage people to to take my messaging and and put it in your intellectual pipe and smoke it. I mean, this is this is to exercise your brain, the gray matter of your brain. And eventually you may disengage and say, I've got enough now. And I'm saying, I don't have enough because my fight to be free is a freaking fight. And there are so many hurdles and obstacles about that. I can't convey that to John Q. Citizen. I have an archive of me just trying to speak before a school board meeting for three minutes. And for three months, it's probably going to be six months and maybe even longer before a decision is ever rendered on it. But this problem that I'm living through in trying to speak before a school board for three minutes is a problem that is through our entire country. I can't go on social media, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, what have you, and not see a video of parents distressed, angered of what is happening within the school board, the school administration, and they don't have a voice. And darn it, they're right. They don't have a voice because you don't know how to be free from the tyranny that the state is. You are their subject. Stop being their subject. You have unalienable rights to remain secure in your Fourth Amendment, to be secure in your person, papers, properties, and effects in order to exercise your First Amendment. Stop consenting. Stop complying. Stand tall. Know your rights. And when you know them and you get to know them more, you build up the courage that you can stand in the face. And when those uniform jackboot people are standing around you to intimidate you, to stop speaking to the school board, you can ignore them. Ignore them. That if you've got three minutes and they show up at minute one, talk through them. They have no authority over you. No lawful authority until you consent to give them authority. Know your lane. Demand that they stay in their lane. Be belligerent. Belligerent is not disrespectful. It's not rude. It's not vulgar. You can be belligerent in love because Christ was belligerent in love when he was turning over the tables inside the temple. He was belligerent. It's a negative. He was saying, you're destroying the edifice here with wickedness that was meant to be holy. And I'm saying, stop, turn, correct. Well, I'm going to stop and turn. I'm going to get those tables out of here and get your doves, get your doves up in the air. I'm hoping at some point I can get a t-shirt made that says, put this in your intellectual pipe and smoke it. This is Modern Babylon. Have a great day. Take care.